0: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. March has arrived and we are only weeks away from the big tournament that tournament make sure to head to bet online and open an account today to get on in on their a hundred thousand dollar bracket madness contest starting on march 15th that's right i said a hundred thousand dollars and march 15th you don't need to be hardcore to get in on the action and with multiple entries available it's this season's best chance to cash in and remember, the NBA and XFL, and if you're into that, are still going strong. So whatever your passion is, BetOnline is the place to be for all your betting needs. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner, BetOnline, to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and make sure that you use that promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for your 50% sign-up bonus. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.
1: Three on one, Bagley with the dunk, and you can put it in the book and send it to the line. There it is, Buddy Hill alone at the top of the
2: King's record. record. Oh, I like this. See, Fox scores five in the open.
1: court. into the lane. Oh, you don't like that? You don't like King's basketball. Oh.
0: Welcome back to another episode of the King's Bulls Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez, and we do not have Rich on here today, but instead we got our two draft experts that are friends of the show. Um, We have Nate Miller and Bryant West here. We'll start with you, Nate. How are you doing today, man? Good. Happy to be back. Yeah, appreciate you coming on. And what about yourself, Bryant? It's been less of a break for you. We had you on not all too long
2: ago. Yeah, you must have not gotten sick of me last time. I'm doing great. Uh, It's almost the best time of year.
0: It is. We have reached March, and we figured, uh, you know, there is a lot of – there's meaningful basketball going on for the Kings. So um, I I know people aren't all too locked in on the draft just quite yet since they still have a little bit of playoff hopes going on. But either way, um, it is March here. Like you mentioned, we're getting to that time. And we do want to just let people know who to kind of keep an eye for as, as the tournament is uh, not all too far from starting here. And I figured that the way that we could start with this is going through Sacramento's current roster and figuring out where they just absolutely do not need to add any talent and maybe some holes that they could p- potentially um, fill in uh, via the draft here. And, I mean, I think the first thing you can start with is the guards, right? Like, obviously, De'Aaron Fox is centerpiece here, and then you have Buddy and Bogey as your two shooting guards. Would you agree, Nate, it's going to be pretty hard to fit in another guard into this rotation?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, when I was looking at the roster and the contracts that are coming up, you have, I think, eight contracts that are guaranteed. Um, That's just considered Nemanja guaranteed, even though it's non-guaranteed. And um, and then we have Jabari Parker with a player option. And Kyle Guy is one of the, like, rare um, two-way players that actually has a, a two-year two-way. So I think, yeah, you point to kind of the big question mark there in a way, and that's kind of a good way to think about it. Do you think uh, – how would you guys rank Bogey his return?
2: Like the, uh, the, the likelihood excited. of it happening?
0: Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll let you take on that one, Brian. What do you think?
2: Yeah. I think it's absolutely vital that Bogey returns. Um, I know that this is a very complicated summer for free agents and uh, with such a limited number of teams that have cap space and everybody in the league could use a guy like Bogie. Um I'm sure that some team out there is going to call Sacramento's bluff on Bogey and offer him a, a really solid contract. But I think that uh, the moment they decided not to trade him, in uh, January, which I think was the right decision, Uh, I think they pretty much made it so that they have to re-sign him. Uh, And I think it's very vital to the team. I think he's uh, either the second or third best player uh, on this team, considering how you still feel about uh, Marvin Bagley. Uh, And I would definitely say that between him and Buddy Heald, if I was going to trade one of them, I would look to move Buddy Heald at this point. Um, but I think overall, in a team construct way, uh, the only thing that, only position that I really wouldn't look to add, if I was Sacramento sitting in this sweet 13 to 16 range, depending on where they end up in the playoff hunt, I think the only position that I wouldn't look to add is uh, a pure point guard. Uh, I think Aaron Fox has that really covered, and I don't necessarily think that uh drafting uh, you know a pure ball handler. I gotta keep the ball in my hand all, all times to be effective kind of guy who's gonna be a real asset to this team. Uh but if a guy like, you know, Tyrese Halliburton falls into Sacramento's range in that thirteen and sixteen range, then absolutely combo guards um, could very well end up the BPA at the King's draft position. Uh so I agree with Nate that, you know, guards are it's uh, somewhat complex to add to this roster, but I think the only kind of guy that I would very much look to avoid are, you know, the Nico Mannions um of this draft. Actually I think that's really the only pure point guard in the in the range we're talking about. So it was a long winded way of saying just no point guards. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, and in in regards to Bogey, like I'm comfortable moving forward under the assumption it's more than likely that he's going to be back next year. Um, there is, you know, obviously a chance that that doesn't go through, or you mentioned like a potential Buddy Heald situation, and we did get a question from Tony Zipteris about, you know, if Buddy or Bogey work their way out this summer, does that change your draft strategy? Um, so we, we can we can look at that a little bit, but I'm fine mostly. Um, working under the assumption that Bogdanovich will more than likely be there next season. Is that sort of what you're leaning towards as well, Nate?
1: Yeah, I think I think if we're just looking at four guards, I mean, you're pretty solid with Fox, Bogdanovich, Shield, and Joseph. And then, you know, you I, I do think in terms of the second round, that's where you're maybe looking for, you're considering a guard, whether it's a developmental situation wherein uh, they're drafting stash, or maybe you're looking for uh there's a kind of a a phrase that I think sam Vicini of the athletic has coined was like a four a point guard you know just having a really good distributor in the minor league level really helps helps the development of all the players around, so I could see that, but definitely not in the first I mean I think moving on to the that rest of the roster i'm I'm really curious to see what you guys think about maybe Bazemore, you know, is, does Bazemore return and, you know, does maybe Jeffries get promoted with a good summer? And even that, even with those those two, you know, possibilities, I can't see that that would even really affect their draft strategy, but it might more affect our kind of um, expectations that whoever's drafted in the first round um, has the expectations that they're a immediate contributor. And I think if we, Assume that there's at least a chance Baysmore returns. For example, I think that actually is kind of really helpful for whoever they pick in the first round.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think that um, I don't think that there's any of the the wing or guard prospects in Sacramento's range that would um, necessitate letting Baysmore go. He's been such a a key role. Uh, veteran leadership kind of guy that, uh, if he wants to return at a contract that makes sense, I don't think that anything the Kings could do on draft day would change the fact that Bazemore could really help his team. And, you know, in the, in today's modern game, you can really never have enough wings that are capable defenders who can shoot at the level that Bazemore's been shooting right now. Uh, I, I don't really think that. Anything they could do on draft day would change the fact that I'd love to see more return. Uh, and you mentioned uh, Daquan Jeffries. I think he's uh, been really uh, having an excellent couple of weeks down in Stockton. Uh, I'd love to see them give him some real run in uh, training camp next year, see if he's uh, uh, ready to join the big squad. But, again, if he's not a player, that I'm going to be changing my draft plans around. Uh, as, you know, just going back to our last point, as long as the best player available is not a pure point guard, I think that Sacramento really should just take whoever they think is the best player available on their big board.
0: Yeah, and yeah, like you said, I think that as much as I like Baysmore, I don't think it changes your draft strategy, and you can never have too many wings. Um, The wings are definitely a place I would be looking at here. And then the other one to me is a Bagley pairing. And the question that that brings up is, is Bagley a 5 or a 4? And I don't think we fully know what they see him as. He's played most of his minutes this year at the center, but Luke did say that was just temporary until he got more comfortable with a different role and then maybe they would play him at the four a little bit but you know only playing 13 games has kind of limited what we've seen from that um so how do you feel in regards to if you're looking at a big here uh, alongside Bagley Bryant are you thinking that you um like are you cutting off you know Bagley is the center I'm not drafting another center or if there's one that's sort of available in that range, are you open to looking at either a four or a five alongside Bagley?
2: Well, I've always been the, had the opinion that uh, Marvin Bagley's best position, uh, given a couple years of development in the NBA, would end up being a small ball center. Um, so I was kind of glad to see them giving him those heavy minutes earlier in the season but like you said 13 games really isn't enough to go on and there's just so much complexity to uh, Marvin Bagley's game and adding him into this roster that um, I don't necessarily think that you have to have any one thing around him because he's just already such a complex player that you're just not going to be able to find uh, a guy who perfectly fits next to him so I really wouldn't hesitate to draft a center or a power forward if i thought that they were uh, a player who fits with the rest of the roster and were the best player available um the natural landing spot for this conversation drags me to one of uh, the dudes who's been ra- rising up my draft board over the last couple of weeks and that's uh maryland big man jalen smith uh, a long time favorite of uh of uh the Kings Herald's, uh, Kevin Fippin, who was on the Jalen Smith bandwagon months and months ago before I'd even really gotten to watch much of him. Uh, I think that Jalen has the number one thing that the Kings should look at in big, and that's the ability to shoot the ball. Um, what Sacramento has proven over the last two years is that optimizing De'Aaron Fox, which is pretty much the, the, the biggest key going forward for this roster is just surround him with as many solid shooters as you possibly can. And Jalen Smith has been shooting excellent this season. Um, He went from playing power forward last year next to uh, Bruno Fernando, and he struggled a bit with physicality. Uh, But this year he's added a bunch of muscle and normally plays as the only traditional big in Maryland lineup. But he's still shooting 38% from three on nearly three attempts per game. And he's up that to 43% from three in Big Ten play. Uh, he's hitting catch shoot threes, nasty off-movement threes and pull-ups. Uh, his shots just come a really long way. And uh, like I said, I think the number one thing for Sacramento is if you're going to take a big guy, the best thing you could look for is a shooter. Because as we've seen with Amanio Belicez, some of the best lineups Sacramento could throw out there are just surround blocks with four shooters, and it works.
0: Yeah, what do you what do you think of that, Nate? I mean, we identified the wing, and then do you agree that the other pairing or, or the other hole is a pairing with Bagley? Um, and do you kind of agree with Brian's assessment that shooting is really the main necessity there?
1: I mean, it's it's kind of just weird when you when you again you break down the roster, and you know there's. There's kind of six bigs if you exclude Harrison as kind of a possible stretch four. And, you know, we just don't know what's going to happen with Giles. Obviously, that contract situation is a can of worms. We don't know whether Parker will leave because he probably won't play, but he does have 6.5 million coming, and that's hard to turn down. And then Len is just kind of seems to be weirdly the ideal fifth big, and he's – a player who's at that point in his career with that's probably probably just good for him, right? You know, if it's a healthy situation, he gets he gets in. The expectations are low. That's nice. So, you know, even if you're looking optimistically and you have Giles and Len come back, that's five. You know, and maybe Parker leaves. You know, you got five, and then you counter that with the fact that. Um, in this draft there really aren't that many stretch fours. I mean there's a lot of four power forwards in that traditional sense, which I I do think of kind of as a slash small ball five. But outside of Danny and Obi, um, you know, Jalen Smith's the only one that that you can really, really feel super confident. Now there are some down the road, second round, undrafted guys that kind of are that PJ Tucker ish. search for a little bit smaller, beefy, but I don't, you know, they're definitely not in the conversation. So if he comes in and he works out really well, and they can, they see, they see something there. It's not a bad pick, but I I can, you know, I can see Kings fans just wondering, okay, um, a guy with this, with his resume, he's had really great growth. I think when you compare uh, Smith, that is. Um, his out-of-conference play to his in-conference play. He's improved just in season as much as any player. And, again, there is that three-point shooting and shot blocking. So he's a good match. Uh, I just am a little, you know, concerned about maybe positional value. And, you know, I I will say that one thing that is nice about him is he is a younger sophomore. So that's one of the things you kind of think about in terms of how much room do they have to grow. If they're already producing at a – at a pretty young level, and there are, um, there are some other players we'll talk about where that's actually a really nice feature um, to what they bring to the table.
2: Yeah, I agree with you that there's a little bit of positional redundancy on the Sacramento roster with committed players, but I'd also say that um, if it – it I can just imagine all the Kings fans watching the draft in June and going, what, the Kings drafted another big in the first round? What are they doing? Um, But I think if there's a real argument for Jalen Smith, it's that he is uh, such a modern fit at the big man spot, whether that's the four or the five long-term. Um, he, and like we talked about, he's a great shooter. Uh, he's averaging 2.3 blocks per game, which is, you know, really something that Bagley lacks in this roster somewhat lacks is uh real talent at the rim protect at the rim. Um, he's an excellent rebounder. He's got a 25% defensive rebounding rate on the season. And like you said, that's just skyrocketed since big 10 play came up. And, and I really think that, um, You know, there were a lot of concerns last year when he was playing next to Bruno Fernando that, you know, this guy's not really physical. He's much more of a power forward in college, which would, you know, really limit him at the NBA level. But he has been so much more physical in the games I've watched recently, especially the two Michigan State games. I watched him just go up against Xavier Tillman, who is, uh, you know, really an, an NBA Big size-wise, in terms of bulk and strength, and and he just gave him no ground on a couple of key possessions late in uh, both of those games. I've been really impressed with how he's handled being, you know, more of the only traditional big man uh, on a really good Maryland roster. Um, so I I I think that Sacramento fans would uh, clearly be annoyed if the Kings take a big man, but when it's a a guy who's this versatile and fits the, you know, he really does fit that rare unicorn label of a a stretch big who can actually protect the rim. Uh, I think at that point, his talent might be too much to pass up at worst. He's a solid third big who could really help you out in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah. And I think the the last thing we can sort of uh, just to Go over, you know, obviously there's guys that you're gonna want, either one of you guys are really gonna be enamored with, but there is sort of a profile that each team um, somewhat seems to like, and you can see it by looking through their history a little bit. And you know, if you're looking at some of Lade's draft picks, you see Marvin Bagley, De'Aaron Fox, um, Willie Cauley-Stein, Harry Giles, Justin Jackson. I mean, you see a lot of athleticism and these really raw talents. Do you feel like that is sort of what Vlade seems to lean towards, Nate? Um, and if not, what sort of profile do you see um, from Vlade's draft history?
1: I do think there's a guidebook, and I've said that on the, on the, on the past uh, episodes, but I think I've added a couple categories. But, uh, you know, definitely a desire to be a king, uh, wanting to be in Sacramento, a fit with Fox.
2: <laughs>
1: High-level athleticism basketball IQ length sometimes that can be just wingspan alone or also standing reach um, motor stamina during the open court obviously that may be not as a big deal under Luke Walton we're, we're seeing that, that that has been flexible um, isolation ability uh, outside of Fox and somewhat and and badly, badly when healthy you know Barnes is kind of their go-to ISO guy and I think in some ways, when people in other markets are talking about the need for the Kings to dump Harrison Barnes, it's kind of a clue that they don't watch Kings games. It's it's very much he's dependent on get a bucket, if not box, right? Um, and then, obviously, these are the last two that I most recently added. Competed at Blue Bloods, and um, do they remind you of a player that was a good player on good teams with Paige and Blotti. I think... That's probably the <laughs> thing an, any actual any GM probably when it reminds them it can really help them think about somebody. And I will we'll get to it in a bit, but there is a player I, I, I discounted and um he made me he I started to think of him as actually a, an interesting player from our past and uh and I thought there was a weird fit there, but we'll we'll get into that in a moment, I guess. All right.
0: Yeah, do you is, do you feel like there's anything that was left out there, Bryant, that sort of fits Vlade's profile of guys he likes?
2: No, I don't think so. That um, pretty much really covers it. I think um, if the Kings are smart, they're, they're just going to be looking at, uh, you know, this class is so odd, uh, I, and so many people say it's a bad class. I just really think that it's a, a complex class. Um I don't necessarily know that anybody we're gonna talk about today is a guaranteed, you know, fifth, sixth man on this roster come next March. Um, but I really just think that there's so many versatile, smart guys and uh i Sacramento really has a chance to add a, a solid depth piece at this draft spot. Um and, and I just really hope that the front office doesn't get hung up on on their own, um, you know, like Nate said, they've clearly got a, a set standard type of player. And, and I hope that this isn't that kind of draft class where you can really just get hung up on this is the type of player that we add every time because there's just so many weird variances in terms of talent in this draft.
0: Yeah, and if you're talking like that top tier, so Sacramento is currently s- sitting with the 12th pick. Is If it were to end today, um, this is before the Wizards game when we're recording, they would have the 12th pick. And my realistic, like, widest range that I could find for them was, you know, I could see them maybe sliding down to 10th um, if things were to go wrong. I couldn't see any lower than that. And then, you know, if they made the 8th seed in the West, the Two teams that are making the playoffs in the East, they'd have a better record than they could be all the way up to 17 um, was kind of my realistic range here. But before we get to guys that are um, likely going to be in that range, what are the guys that if they fall to you, you have to absolutely take them? If, if you feel like there are guys that realistically could fall that way, no matter of the fit. Like we mentioned, not really wanting a guard, um, but that is – from my understanding, a good amount of the top of this draft. Um, Brian, do you feel like there's any guys that if they fall to you, you just have to take them because of their talent level?
2: Um, not necessarily. I mean, if Tyrese Halliburton's sitting there at the Kings range, I really think that they should select him. Um if any one of Isaac Okoro or Denia Vida or Obi Toppin fall to the Kings range, I'm definitely going be making a serious case for them. Um, but I just – I cannot see guys like LaMelo Ball or Cole Anthony. Um, you know, those those are the real complex fits with the Kings rosters, those traditional point guards like we talked about earlier. Uh If either one of them fell to Sacramento, it would just be um, – crazy to me and at that point I'd be seriously calling teams that need point guards in the in the late lotto mid-teams range and saying hey you're, you're really going to just let uh, top, a top higher tier point guard just fall this far let's make a deal Um, but you know any one of those uh wings or forwards that are sitting in the top 10 of the draft class if they fall to Sacramento definitely just take the best player available and and worry about fit second or second late unless they're a point guard.
0: And do you feel the same way with that, Nate? And then when do you reach sort of like – so there's this top tier, and how many guys do you feel like are sort of in that before you reach around where Sacramento is going to be drafting? And to me it seems like there's a wide pool of guys that it's really going to be subjective to what the front office likes, right? I think there's nine guys that are probably
1: out of the range, and it's, you know, we could dream, you know, if the lottery balls fall a different way, if they don't make the playoffs, and you know, Edwards, Ball, Wiseman, Evdia, Hayes, Kongu, Halliburton, Okoro, and Toppin. Those are all the ones you just kind of, you have to think about, I think, even if you don't think their fit's that great. Um, that does exclude uh, a couple players that, are often just automatically in the top 10. There's a trio of players I haven't been super high on that have probably started the year in mock drafts, in Cole Anthony, Nico Mannion, and uh, Jaden McDaniels. And for me, Jaden McDaniels is probably the biggest stay away of, of any yep. that's been listed. Because, I mean, nothing nothing has really worked out, whether it's that team's not winning, he's not achieving the different things that people hope for him his shooting percentage is not great his advanced stats aren't great um and i don't think that this front office has established a history of taking the the rawest piece of clay and forming it into the player that we think they could be um but anthony um is that player that i teased earlier uh, i haven't pulled all the data of all the players from the year I, i'm I'm kind of planning on waiting to do that until after the postseason's done. But Anthony's, you know, he's not had a great year as, as a distributor. But there's a part of me that, as I see him still scoring, and he is older as a freshman, so that's concerning. And he's maybe not as finished as of a product as people had hoped as a freshman. Is there a little bit of Tony Delk, Bobby Jackson there? And I, I just don't see that that fit is there, or the really the opportunity on this roster. I mean, if, if Bogey comes back, he, he's no better than the fifth guard on this team, and, and that's probably not ideal for roster construction. Um, so, you know, we're excluding that, you know, 10 or so players. I think to me that my favorite four is Sadiq Bey, Devin Vassell, Patrick Williams, and Leandro Bumaro. Um, I'm not sure who, who are your probably favorite four or so, Brian.
2: Uh, well, first off, I don't want to totally agree with you on Jaden McDaniels. Uh, he has been my stay-away player for a month now. I've been very unimpressed with, um, how he's handled, uh, his time in Washington.
0: So they're totally um, picking Jaden McDaniels. is what you're saying, right? Yeah.
2: <laughs> he definitely seems like the kind of player that they would, uh, um, the falling knife that Sacramento's front office would think they're, they're, Clearly, the smartest uh, people in the room. Let's take this guy and show everybody how wrong they were on him, and, and just comes back to haunt them in the future. Um, I would say that the four uh, that I'd love to chat about are three of the ones that uh, Nate just talked about. Um, Jay, uh, Jay, oh, sorry, Jalen Smith is, is definitely in my range there. Uh, I really like Sadiq Bay. I think, uh, he's definitely worth talking about. Um, I'm not quite as high on Devin Vassell as, uh, as Nate is, but he's, he's certainly a, uh, worthwhile, uh, discussion. And, uh, Patrick Williams, I'm, I'm very late on the Patrick Williams height party. Um, but watching, speed watching a couple of his more uh, heavy minute Florida state games in the last couple of days, I can, I can say that I absolutely see why Draft Twitter is falling in love with him. So that would be my four.
0: Yeah, and, you know, we got two guys from the same team here, so maybe we can start with them, both of these Florida State guys. You mentioned Patrick Williams and then Devin Vassal. I'm very uneducated on college basketball. I'm sure most of the listeners are as well. So maybe we can just start with Nate. Like, you want to give us a little bit of a profile of – let's start with Patrick Williams because both of you guys seem – Fairly high on him. Just give us a little bit of a profile on who Patrick Williams is as a player.
1: I mean, he's raw. He's about 6'7", 185. But he is one of the youngest players um, in the draft. I think he'll only be like um, 18.8 at at the time of the draft. So I think think that just that raw uber-athlete probably can go anywhere from the 2 to the 4 defensively. Um, and like you said, I think he can basically double up on these games and, and pick up a little bit th- a bit of things. You know, obviously he doesn't he doesn't have the raw um, per game numbers of a lot of players. I think you'll you'll see in in, in mocks uh, they go you know 30. And so that you, you know you just kind of have to take a little more projection there. Where Devin Vassell, is a little shorter, about six five, also very young for a sophomore. Um, more of the prototypical three and D wing um, really good advanced numbers and well-regarded as a team defender, if maybe not a, an ISO defender. And I think last year in last year's draft, we saw, I think we saw two Florida state players get drafted. So, and though they haven't um, played many minutes for the Clippers, um, you know, it's a veteran team. So, um, I think there's kind of a profile that they play in, a, in an offense that's a little bit more, and offense and defense that's a little bit more projectable to what the NBA expects out of players.
2: Yeah, I'd certainly agree with that defensive point. Um, Patrick Williams and Devin Vassal are, are very um, promising defensive prospects. Um, I'd agree that the lower in Patrick Williams is just, how raw he is for his age. Um, but he's got a tool base that's just excellent for an NBA forward. Six eight, uh size, seven two wingspan, plenty of strength, uh explosiveness off the charts. He makes some defensive plays and some single handed uh whip passes that just make me go, whoa. He 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 can definitely see some things on both sides of the court that uh I think speak to talents that are just waiting to be unlocked in the next couple of years as he gets more and more playing time. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, his three-point shooting isn't great, only 34% this year, especially considering when a large number of them are uh, the ones I've seen anyway, are unguarded. Um, but synergy marks him as shooting 42% on a solidly high number of off-the-dribble jumpers, something that a couple smart uh, draft Twitter guys have been pointing out. Um, but I definitely think he is, of the guys we're, we're chatting about, he's definitely the most raw. He's definitely the most of a project, uh, which makes sense. I mean, of course, he's only 18, and he's going to be uh, 18 on draft day. Uh, so clearly he's got a really good skill set for a smart team to build on. Um, but I think there's no limit of what of how big a project player this front office will be willing to gamble on. Especially if there's any heat under their, under their collective seats and they think that they've got to find contributors this summer. Um, I don't think it's clear at all what Patrick Williams would become on offense, uh, in, you know, five or six years. Uh, and while he's determined and intense enough that I think he'll become a really solid defensive player in the NBA, uh, I'll admit that I'm probably going to end up lower on him than most of, uh, draft Twitter.
0: Yeah, so correct me if I'm wrong here, but the understanding I'm sorting um getting between the two as prospects is that it seems like Patrick Williams has the higher ceiling here while Vassal has the the higher floor and more of a like a impact nail guy. You mentioned like with his team defense. Um, but what do you think stylistically that the main difference between these two guys
2: are, Bryant? I'd say athleticism. Um Devon Vassell is a solid collegiate athlete. He's had a couple really nice dunks. Uh, but Patrick Williams is a project in terms of like he can jump out of the gym. Um, Devon Vassell's a lot more reliant on on being a really capable three and D wing, uh, which is a position I've always had way too much uh, affection for <laughs> as a draft analyst. Um he's a, Devin Vassell has become a darling of draft where thanks to, you know, like Nick said, incredible defensive awareness and really great instincts off the ball. Uh he's almost got a three percent steal rate and almost a five percent block rate. Um he's got a six wingspan and it's just a weapon on defense. He's always disrupting, he's always fighting. Uh he's that kind of high motor kid that uh FSU's Leonard Hamilton loves to bring in. Um, Vassel's also a really good three point shooter, uh, shooting 42% from deep on three and a half attempts per game. Uh, excellent catch and shoot guy. Uh, I think last time I looked, first energy, he's shooting 90th percentile on catch and shoot shots. Um, you know, that's pretty typical, uh, three and D skill set, uh, and a good motor to back it up. Um. I think if there is a concern for him at the next level, it's because we don't know how his tool set translates as well to the NBA. Uh, his shooting sure well. That's no doubt about that. But I, I'm not sure what else he brings offensively. Um, and that's a little concerning for a sophomore. His usage rate at FSU is only 20%. So certain that some of some skills are being hidden. Um uh, but he's not a great playmaker for others. Uh his system turnover ratio is negative. Uh he doesn't get to the rim well at all, just thirty six attempts at the rim all season. And he hasn't shown great touch when he gets there. Uh he's thrown down a couple really nice explosive dunks, but I wouldn't call him a speedy player. Um I think that he has a high floor like you were talking about. Uh, he's going to come in and be a smart team defender, make an impact with his shot, keep teams honest. Um, But I definitely have him lower than uh Sadiq Bey, who I think we'll probably end up talking about next. Does that make sense to you, Nate?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think if you're looking at him, um, again, I, I, you're just trying to compare maybe those three. It's You just have to recognize that you know, Vass is a little smaller. and if you're trying to find a piece that gives you that flexibility to, to handle the bigger wings um, and you think you have all the indicators uh, in just your projection, I think, you know, uh, Williams and Bay give you that kind of flexibility because they're just, they're just taller, I mean, and longer. And so that's and that's kind of helpful um, in filling, you know, the holes of where the Kings have. I mean, I like Bayes more and he's long, for example, but he's just not tall, so – there's, there's some limits to what you can achieve, I think, out of that position that way.
0: Yeah, and in, in regards to taking a guy that's going to produce for you more likely a couple years down the line compared to right now, I mean, in the Kings' current situation, which do you feel is more ideal um, to, to go after, Nate? Like, I mean, they're almost in a um, sort of scenario where they're – weirdly like they have potential in Fox and Bagley, but outside of that, I mean, it seems like they're really trying to make a push to win some games right now. So do you think that has an impact on potentially taking a project guy like Williams?
1: Um, I mean, so what I'd say is I I just do these little mocks for fun. And I think that there is this, um, you know, there's this element just in the teams and who's around and who, who's being drafted and, what do the teams actually need? And I do think that there's a possibility that, you know, the King, if the Kings do really great but even don't make the playoffs, right, you know, looking at, at somewhere I don't know, like pick 14 or, or 13, and there is a possibility that acor Bay, Vassel, and Patrick Williams are all gone. And uh, I know that doesn't really answer your question, but if you're looking at that multiple years out, that's why Leandro Balmaro has has kind of really um, caught my eye. Um, I didn't know as much about him um, until, you know, watching a few YouTube clips, for example, because he doesn't play too much for Barcelona. He plays in the second division, um, but I do remember last year following who was working out, and it, it seemed like the Kings were really interested in finding this kind of third guard type. They're they're not so much a a dominant scorer, but they're also not your prototypical point guard. So, like, I mean, I just use the term third guard. Um, kind of the role Bogey can often play as the backup point guard, the backup initiator. And so I think he's a guy that, again, if you find someone that's like that, it does offer you the flexibility to pair them with a, kind of more of an undersized scorer, which we're seeing a lot more, um, you know, pop up that Bryn Forbes, that like, you know, what Kyle Guy could achieve, for example. Um, and so that he, – he's really interesting to me because he does play with flair. You know, you don't want to put Mono on him. You don't want to put Jason Williams on him. But there's something about high-level creativity um, that in some ways feels like something the Kings even saw in Harry, right? I mean, if we, if we time travel back, it all felt really stunning that he was selected And then we saw about his creativity and people were throwing out Chris Webber comparisons about his ability to to create at the high post. And, um, you know, the the Kings very clearly don't want to take the ball out of Fox's hands. Um, We saw that with uh, he who shall not be named. Um, uh, (laughs) But but we also do see that ability of Fox to score and, and you don't want to put too much I think on him you really want someone that can also create for him allow him to work on the work on the cuts and you know score in all these different ways and and so these just not really there's so much we want out of Fox we want him to create we want him to score we want him to be a Gary Payton level defender so that sort of does mean we have to kind of create an allowance for for creation from all the other positions. So that's kind of, I'm, I'm really, yeah, I, I definitely probably rank wing defender as my top priority with this pick. But maybe, maybe Balmaro is a guy that, that kind of breaks that mold and, but also provides good draft value at
2: that, at that spot.
0: Interesting. Yeah, you know, we can we can go into Tony's question a little bit here, because I think it's somewhat of what you're talking about, that, again, he said, if Buddy or Bogey works their way out of Sacramento this summer, does that change your draft stat- strategy, um, and do you start to consider some of these lottery combo guards, which uh, my understanding is that's kind of what Balmero is that you're mentioning here, and who are other guys that should Buddy or Bogey somehow find themselves not being on the roster uh, come around the time of the draft that, you might start to look at here Nate?
1: Yeah so I, I try to you
0: know label the guards
1: and dif- all the players in different ways and I do have I mean you could call them wings but I do even divide the wings among guard scorers wing defenders and, and wing shooters and they're roughly self you know divided in ways that you would think do they do they show defensive potential um, or do they show creation potential and so that's why I also have kind of that third guard and, and someone kind of can flex up or flex down. Um, I know Killing Hayes, for example, is often described as, as a point guard. Goran Dragic comparisons are thrown out. I like to just think about him as, as a guard scorer um, in the Brandon, um, Brandon Roy role. Um, and it's, but it's just really like a, a position that there's actually not a lot of depth I, I don't really see a lot of guard scorers kind of rising up that can probably provide immediate minutes. I, I do think that if the Kings were to draft at 13 or so and maybe surprise and pick someone like Jalen Harris or Grant Riller, um, Harris is out of Nevada and is just this incredible late riser. You look at his scoring numbers, his production, and you're kind of surprised you, you're not, you haven't heard about him more. Grant Riller's out of Charleston. He's one of the best finishers in the country at the basket. He's a senior. Uh, I think the question for him will be: um, Is he tall enough? I think he's listed about six three, but it might be a case much like uh, Miles Powell last year, where he was measured at you know listed at six three, but you know, clocked in a few inches shorter, thus kind of limiting your, his defense potential. Um, but I. I you know, those guys, those two players, I think, could really rise up in workouts. So, you know, if, if they went that direction, I think that, you know, it becomes a storyline whether or not one of the Kings two guards is is either traded or leaves in free
2: agency. Well, I think the most important thing is to point out that uh, the Kings won't be able to move uh, Buddy Heald until after the draft. Um, and Bogdan Bogdanovich's free agency will come after the draft. Yeah. So if the Kings are going to think that they need to get a, a combo guard, they're going to have to do that, select that guy before they're able to do anything with Buddy Heald or Bogdan unless there's a, a draft day trade. Um, but you know, if, like Nate said, if there's a, a run on, on the wing that we've talked about in some City Bay, Devin Vassal, uh, Maybe even Patrick Williams are all gone and the Kings are selected. And, and, and that leaves somebody like, I don't know, Tyrese Maxey, uh, in the Kings range. I think that's that kind of scoring mentality combo guard, uh, who could play decently well next to Fox. He's a little small and I'd worry about, uh, that defensive lineup from your guards. But I mean, that's too cool, two, um, two determined defenders who could work well together. Um, regardless of size. Uh, I don't particularly know that much about R.J. Hampton. I need to go watch his film from uh, New Zealand, but uh, he could be another you know, guy who falls into that Sacramento range if there's a run of guards. Uh, and then the one I keep coming back to is Tyrese Halliburton. If the Kings are determined to get another combo guard, he's the one I'd love them to get just because I think he is an amazing uh, secondary or even lead playmaker uh, had a really excellent shooting percentages all year uh, for, all, for Iowa state. That uh, just made real impacts on all areas of the court. Um, if, if Sacramento really thinks that they got to take a combo guard because they're worried about saying goodbye to Bogey or Buddy and, uh, and one of those combo guards is the highest on the draft board. And I don't think there's any reason to blame Sacramento for taking another combo guard. This is a, uh, a guard forward league. Um, I'm in the same camp as Nate where I think my preferred outcome is taking a, a defensive minded wing uh, like Sidney Bay or, uh, you know, Isaac or falling to the Kings would just be the dream of all dreams. Um, but I don't really think that there is a avenue where I'm, furious at the Kings selecting any type, any single type of player.
0: Yeah, and my understanding is that there is a good amount of wing depth in this draft, even if the top isn't, you know, overwhelming and blowing people away like some other drafts. But we've mentioned Sadiq Bey a lot, so I, I think we should just get into him a little bit here. Um Bryant, can you just kinda let us know who Sadiq Bey is a player? I see Villanova, you know, twenty years old, six eight, but what do you uh can you give us a little bit on Sadiq Bey?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh Sadiq Bey is a typical J Wright gem. Um you know, he, he, he's the kind of guy that I fall in love with really, really. Uh two way stud. Um uh, I don't think he's got star equity by any stretch of the imagination, but uh he he's in three and win D. Uh he's the best player on both ends for Villanova. Uh he's scoring sixteen points per game, making uh two and a half threes a contest, while shooting forty five percent from deep. Uh his spot up shot is in the ninety fifth percentile percentage. Uh, and on a night-to-night basis, he's mostly taking the other team's best uh, guard or forward. Um, we we kind of hinted at this earlier, but he's a legit 6'8 and got plenty of muscle. Uh, he's a really smart one-on-one defender at the collegiate level. And I think that'll translate into becoming a very solid wing defender in the NBA. Uh, I'm a little more hesitant to say that he could switch on to NBA guards. Uh, I don't see an elite defensive prospect. I think he gets taken advantage of a bit too much, uh, too often in the pick and roll possessions, what I've seen. But his length and his size gives him a real solid range. And like Nate hinted at earlier, that, you know, that 6'8 kind of wing defender is something that Sacramento really doesn't have. And when that guy's also shooting 45% from deep in one of the better conferences, uh, in the country, you got to look at that kind of guy.
0: Yeah, what are, your, what are your thoughts on Bay uh, here, Nate? I think that's the, probably the
1: main thing that I could add to that conversation is out of all the defenders that are at least probably in the first round conversation, he's probably has the best uh, shooting indicators. I mean, so much that every, yeah, sure. every time someone has updated a, bot, uh, a big board or a mock draft, they kind of keep saying, it's like, well, he's shooting great, but we'll see if he keeps it up, and he kind of keeps it up. So uh, that really gives you a little bit more, I think, I'm not saying he could be a starter in the NBA next year, but in year two or three, that feels like a more of a a likely outcome in some ways than any of the other wings, uh, uh, more like small forwards. I mean, I think some of the two guards, like Edwards and Hayes, are going to be much more likely in the starter conversation earlier in their careers but as far as small forward guys, that's that's something I'm really interested in and then his ball handling is is, is pretty nice, the amount of that he's expected to create for that offense um, it's just nice that he has that versatility
2: Yeah, I'd agree with that, uh, he's a very capable and useful passer uh, he's not a primary initiator but I mean with any Villanova player you're not going to get serious run if the ball gets stuck in your hands. He's averaging nearly three assists per 40 minutes with a 15% assist rate. Um, he's that really kind of multi-talented offensive player that uh, I think is going to end up rising in this draft class. Like, like you said, I would not be surprised if he's really in that 10 to 14 range by the end of this
0: yeah, you know, okay, so we're hyping up Sadiq Bay a lot here. I'm going to need to hear some of the negatives of what we got going on with this kid out of Villanova. Well, what are some of the downsides for him, Brian?
2: Well, I think he's definitely um, – his defensive potential isn't quite as high in the NBA as it is in college. In college, he's able to guard pretty much any point guard that he needs to. Um, I don't think he's that fleet of foot. To guard uh, NBA point guards, um, so I think there's definitely a little bit of uh, defensive liability if, if you get switched on the guards, but that's not really going to be a problem um, if, the, if a smart defense, is, if a team is smart with how they handle switches. Um, he's not as great in getting to the rim as you'd kind of hope for a primary scoring guard, but he's definitely better than Devin uh, Vassell getting to the rim. Uh, Yeah, I think that's it. Do you
0: have anything you want to add to that, Nate, and any other names you want to throw in here? We've gone through about five guys at this point. i got Bay, Vassal, Williams, Jalen Smith, and Bulmaro.
1: Not not really on Bay. I think if you just want one knock is maybe you just want a little bit more. Um, Maybe just a little bit more. Like really just take that lottery – conversation and really run with it. I think a deep run for Villanova will really help. I think it'll be a lot harder for people to discount his shooting and creation abilities if that happens. Uh, yeah, I, just, I feel like the the players that are in that conversation that I wouldn't be super excited about, but I think that are interesting and there are ways to, to see their role. Yeah, like you said, Hampton is one. I think Tao Maladon, um, you know, point guard overseas, Tony Parker's protégé. Uh, Josh Green, although I, I'm not super high on him, and then I think my other four super dark horses, things that have to turn right, they'd have to probably improve and you know, excel in workouts, Najee Marshall, Ndoye, um, Indoye, uh, Scotty Lewis, and Cassius Stanley, and I think the first two, uh, Najee Marshall, he's a wing defender out of Xavier. He pretty much does everything. Uh, shooting is the biggest concern. Um, his draft value wouldn't really be there, but let's say workout season happens and all of these wings start going against each other and he rises and he just defeats all these, you know, basically freshmen and sophomores. And as a junior, it shows that he just has a little bit more aptitude to provide an immediate contribution, and uh, Abdullah Ndoye is the same way. He's uh, he's an automatic draft eligible player out of Chalet. He's kind of does a little bit of creation, a little bit of wing defense, and again, I think he's another guy that at least would provide some some immediate returns. There, he, there's just a Piece in the, on the, in the athletic about him today that I haven't gotten around to. But he, he's one of the international players that, when you look at his numbers, he's actually gets an opportunity. He's playing. The French League's not the, one of the best leagues, um, but it might be there. It's probably the fourth or fifth, you know, best levels of competition. So th- that, those are some indicators there. And then Lewis and Stanley, they're both in that, like super raw uh, athlete. You wish they shot better. Um, Stanley's one of the best dunkers. Lewis does have nice indicators in terms of steals and block percentage. Uh, a lot more was expected of him, but they're also on two teams that they're going to be on in the tournament. You know, they're going to be able to build a resume and make an argument. And so I think, you know, again, I think the lottery is probably too high, but, but we have so much time left before the draft that, you know, things could change.
2: Yeah, I think, uh, of the guys you just mentioned, Scotty Lewis is, is my favorite of those probably second, uh, maybe if they rise up really quickly guys. Uh, I love me, Scotty Lewis. The dude just plays with it. an undeniable motor. He's a lot of fun to watch. Um, I think overall, this is a really good class for Sacramento to have three second round picks in because there's just going to be so many talented guys who could really Actually, make a you know, contribution to this roster in that you know thirty to forty to sixty range. Uh, I love Marcus Howard from Marquette. The dude is only five eleven, but he's just a firecracker, and I think he'd be a really kind of fun backup to De'Aaron Fox. He you just light up from deep. Um, I've always been on the Isaiah Joe bandwagon this year. I know his shooting numbers have tanked. But, uh, I think he could, he might be able to bounce back next summer. Um, Malachi Flynn from San Diego State's just having an excellent year and, uh, that team is just roaring because he's just in such a, uh, a, really solid offensive player for that roster this year. So he's definitely worth uh, taking a peek at. Um, but I think the nice thing is that most of the players we covered in this conversation are all going to be playing in a couple of weeks once the tournament gets started. So, uh, you know, especially guys like Jalen Smith, uh, Sadiq Bay, both of the Florida State guys, I think they're, they're all going to be playing at least a game or two in the tournament. So uh there's plenty of option, opportunities for Kings fans to uh check some of these guys out, see what they think.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd add that really the outside of the probably the lottery, the rest of the draft and the positioning of these players is still wide open. I mean, I, I think sure. the wings, you know, is what I want most. And then after that, I'm thinking, again, third guards, maybe another wing uh, and kind of draft and stash type, type of players. Um, I, I think what's – You know, the highest outcome is one player, you know, is going to get that first round contract and obviously make the roster. It's hard to even see that if a lower, um, kind of lower stock international is drafted that high. I feel like they'll still kind of bring them over. Um, And then probably looking at another player that fits that second two way slot. And then after that, you know, you have two picks there. And do they just trade one to the future? Do they move up? Again, do they use draft and stash? And, and I, you know, I think for me, I, I do like Rokas Jokobaitis, an international player with a good, uh, he had a good summer. Um, that, you know, and D- Abdullah Ndoye, he might go in the second, and that would be just a really good value. Um, Carlos Allison, he's, he's playing in, the in the BCL for, uh, let me that one up again, um, for Zaragoza. Um, and then I think, um, you know, if you want someone that's probably going to provide some immediate value, you know, the feeling's the really low, um, a Desmond Bain or a Trace Tinkle. Um, Bain is just – he's kind of – Bain sort of looks like he's built like P.J. Tucker, but he can shoot it, and he's another guy that I felt like they've discounted – some analysts have discounted his shooting ability, but he's kept it up. And then on top of that, he takes a lot of – uh he initiates the office offense for them a lot of times, and he's I think he's having his best year uh, with you know his per game. And then Tinkle, that Oregon State team's not great. Uh, he has a really high usage. He's one of the oldest players in this draft, probably considered among the top you know, top 100, top 125 players. But he is six eight. Uh, he is smart, um, and so he might he re- might really fill that role and kind of do a little bit of what. Like John Contra is doing for Memphis. Just kind of, just kind of filling in, being the guy that does the dirty work, uh, but also has some shooting potential that might actually improve when he's not asked to create as much offense as he is at the college level. Um, and I'm sorry, I'd throw up the one more player who, this is the guy that the Kings have scouted, um, Joel Ayayi. Um, he again is that third guard type. Plays for Gonzaga. Who knows who the Kings were actually scouting at that game? Because there's a lot of interesting players on that team. Um, international player has a nice, you know, a nice resume in international play. And so I just it, those seem like kind of players that give them a little flexibility. I do like different couple of different big man types. Don't know if we have time to mention them, but if they do decide to kind of bring in a big man, whether it's at for roster level or in the in the in the minors, if you will, um, there's there's some guys that kind of fit who they who, who they have uh, targeted in the past, um, but you know it's 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 a weird year, and there is so much time for for guys to rise, even though we're you know in March.
0: Yeah, Tim wanted a list of second round draft picks he could start falling in love with, and I think he gave them a <laughs> good uh, variety of options there. And one question that's kind of interesting to me that we got from Reddit is. Uh, What's more likely is getting a steal in the first round or a gem in the second round. And to me, I mean, it's more about expectations, really. And when you're talking about um, after the lottery, it becomes just a really long pool of talent. Does it feel like there's really potential to get somebody that can be a real contributor in the second round here, Brian? I
2: think so. Um, You know, there's three second round picks on the Kings uh, docket this year. And uh, you know, smarter people than me have, have continually said that the the talent pool in this draft class is uh a little shallow at the top, but pretty deep when it comes to uh, contributors in the second round. Um, I think Joel I.E. is a really solid uh mention there by Nate. Um Manuel Quickly from Kentucky could really be a dude. Uh and there's just gonna be plenty of, of guys in the Uh, second round who could become, you know, solid ninth, 10th players for this roster and and place in solid minutes for a winning team.
0: Yeah, and is there anyone else uh, that you maybe want to throw out here, Nate, before I make you guys pick like a top three guys that are reasonable that you prefer to pick up here?
1: I do think that the number of ball handlers,
0: whether you just
1: that, you know, typical – the prototypical point guard, the third guard, um, you know, there could be like 15 to 20 if selected, if all of these guys declare and stay in. And I think that puts pressure on them falling. Um, many of them will still be, you know, playing in the tournament and still have that ability to rise or fall. Um, but I do think that provides um, some options if the Kings go that direction. I'm not, I'm not super high on him, for example, but Ashton Hagens. There's a little bit of uh, uh, Corey Joseph there, just like high-level defender that you only wish could turn the shooting around. Um, you know, Cassius Winston does, does, and Devin Dawson, or Devon Dawson, do they remind you of Frank Mason? So then that gets you thinking maybe they're, they're in play. Malachi Flynn and Peyton Pritchard, you know, in some ways, I just, I just don't even know how you compare some of these players until they keep building up that resume. And, and generating that workout buzz. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, 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 I do think that that's probably the biggest pressure, is the number of ball handlers and then the the amount of big men that I've uh, been well-regarded but don't necessarily project at the NBA level. And so I think you'll see those two elements countering kind of the rise of wings um, and maybe scorers.
0: Yeah, all right. So to to wrap up a little bit here, we've been going for a while, and there's a lot of names getting thrown out. Um, and we dived into a good couple to start here. I think the main ones I, I heard from you guys are Sadiq Bay, Devin Vassell, Patrick Williams, uh, Leandro Balmero, Jalen Smith is up there. Um, so maybe we can close, and we'll start with you on this one, Bryant, with give us your top three guys that you see realistically being available in Sacramento's. Uh, selecting, and the top three guys that you would like them to pick. Um, And then also list a couple teams that you think Sacramento fans should be keeping an eye on in this tournament. Obviously, Florida State will be involved in that list as well.
2: Uh, Well, I wish I could start my uh, list with Isaac Okoro, but I definitely think he'll be gone before the Kings end up selecting. Um, The guys we talked about, I think uh, Jalen Smith is my highest-ranked uh, player just because I really, really think that uh, finding a unicorn big with his shooting and rim protection abilities would be huge for any modern NBA team. I know it's a little bit of a positional redundancy with this Kings roster, but I think besides um arguably Marvin Bagley, I'm not sure that there's any big man on this Kings roster who's here and- three, four years. I'd love to see Rashawn Holmes sign a long-term contract, but I don't know that that's completely likely. And um, uh, Of the other guys, I think Sadiq Bey would be second for me. Uh, I really love his two-way ability. I think he'd be a great uh, floor spacer and, uh, and another capable defender. Uh, and then I think Devin Bassel would be a really smart uh, addition to this roster as well. Um the teams I would say that King fans should watch uh in the tournament would be Maryland. Maryland's a really smart defensive team, and they've got multiple capable offensive players. So I think they're sneakily fun to watch. Uh, Obi Toppin and Dayton are just always a joy to watch. you forget that you're watching a college basketball game, when they get going on offense, they're just blindingly fast. Uh, and I really like watching Auburn. Um, they're a little bit of a headache on offense sometimes. They can get really bogged down by having a whole bunch of dudes who prefer to slash and attack the basket and aren't really great shooters, um, which really fits Isaac Okoro's offensive issues. But their defense is just so much fun to watch. Uh So that would be the teams I'd pay attention to in the tournament.
1: I think, yeah, for me – uh I'm going to be optimistic and pessimistic. I'm going to think that the teams are going to finish the year really strong and probably put themselves out of position on the three, three and D players that I want. Um, and so I think they're going to pivot. And my ideal foursome that they leave the draft with is Balmaro, Allison. You basically have a Spanish speaking uh, backcourt of the future. And then, Get a couple of immediate contributors in Indoye and, and Bain. Um, again, they're not going to maybe give the height that they need, but it's a little bit of a nice production. I've always had a, I just, I've all, I think ever since Tony Parker was drafted, I always just weirdly root for French basketball players, even if sometimes they more often than not maybe fail. Um, and then in the, and I think in the tournament, I'm just, again, it's not necessarily a fit for the Kings, but I do like Michigan State. Um, just with you know Winston and Henry and Tillman, that's just really three players that um, you know I think you know we will, obviously we won't see all three of them together you know next year, but you know I think that that gives you someone a ball handler, a wing, and a center, um, and they all have flexible abilities. But I think that's really interesting. Gonzaga, obviously, they're kind of a powerhouse. Two French players there, so I have to root for them. <laughs> then maybe the. Um, and then I just want to mention this, even though I don't like a lot of their players. There's there's one little fact about one of them that is like really really surprising to me, and that is Kansas. Um, and the interesting fact to me that just kind of stunned me is Azabuki, You look at their center. Uh, it's gotten a lot of um, recognition for his defense. As a senior, is actually older than Cassius Stanley, a freshman for Duke. So I think um, you know he's he's in my rankings. He's only the 54th best prospect at the moment, and again, not really a fit for this Kings team in terms of Kings applicability. But he might be a guy that also rises um, just because they people start taking a look at him and realizing that this guy actually has a lot more room to improve, and maybe we disregarded um some of what he does well.
0: Yeah, so so I got Balmero out of you, Nate. Do you have <laughs> I think that we need two other ones from you in your preference for, for talking this first round pick. Just yeah. to just to okay. get a concise, final little list here. Yeah, so if, if things
1: go horrible for the end of the year, yeah, Bay and Vassal, i you know, those are my other those probably my top three. Uh Balmaro, Bay and Vassal in some order.
0: Got it. Well, uh, we've been running for a little while here. I'm sure that both of you could keep going on this, and we'll definitely give you an opportunity a little later in the year uh, to do that, probably, definitely definitely in the off season when that is the complete focus, and maybe people aren't so hyped up on this potential playoff run going on, but uh, I want to thank both of you, Nate and Bryant, for coming on this show, And thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. And you will hear from us again in the next couple of days.